All right, so this, uh, this is Proverbs 31, verses 10 through the end, through verse 31. And this is actually a poem. It's, a, um, it's an acrostic poem. So each verse in the Hebrew begins with the successive verse of the Hebrew alphabet, 22 letters, 22 verses. So keep that in mind as we're reading through all these different qualities of this, uh, this remarkable woman, the woman who fears the Lord. So let's, uh, let's hear God's word. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household, portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands to the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself, and her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Lord, we thank you for your words to us this morning. Thank you for the truth that you convey to us about who we are, who you are as men and women made in your image. Lord, would you uh, please help us as we uh, take these words to heart, as we seek to apply them, as we seek to live them out, uh, as we seek to be wise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Uh, we're going to talk about this excellent woman, and then we're going to talk about uh, being excellent image bearers and how as men and women together, we, we make an excellent pair. Uh, that's, that's God's design. That, that's his intent. Uh, before we jump into kind of discussing uh, the qualities of this woman, I just want to uh, mention that sometimes when, when uh, couples get engaged and they, they're in a church, you know, it's not uncommon for the church to want to come alongside the young man, young woman, or even if they're older uh, and getting married, we, we want to just kind of help them prepare. Uh, we're not just preparing for a wedding day, we're preparing for a marriage, and so we do this thing called premarital coaching, premarital discipleship. Um, and when there's you know six or seven meetings that we'll have, and we'll talk about things like communication, we'll talk about things like, like finances, bringing two incomes together, we'll talk about ministry and you know, spirituality, we'll talk about sex, and, you know, those are the topics that we have. And I've often kind of wondered, what's it like for a priest <laughs> to do weddings, 
to do premarital counseling. You know, a celibate priest who's taking this vow of, of celibacy, never going to get married, and, and here you've got two people and you're helping them prepare for marriage. What's that like? You know, kind of like a, uh, you know, travel agent trying to sell trips to places here she's never been before. You know, um, what's that like? I kind of feel like that this morning talking about womenhood, so just, you know, want to acknowledge the elephant uh, in the room. But we're going to start here at the end uh, in verse 30, uh, and where we read that charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, and a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And, and all throughout our Proverbs series, as we've been talking about the wisdom of Jesus, we keep coming back to that refrain that is sprinkled, you know, all over these 31 chapters that... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so Proverbs ends the way it begins. Uh, It ends with this woman who fears the Lord, began with the the man who fears the Lord, chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So nobody can be truly wise without putting God first, honoring him acknowledging him as sovereign, as king forever. He rules our lives. That's what the fear of the Lord means. I'm not in charge. And, and nobody who puts God in charge, no matter what the world thinks, is, is ever truly a fool. So it, it's, it's wise to do this, and whether you're a man or whether you're a woman. So the, if the fear of the Lord and honoring him in everything is the beginning of wisdom, then wisdom looks like a life that is lived consistently with God's kingdom. It's, it's going with the flow of how he designed the world. Uh, it's not, you know, rubbing the fur the wrong way. Uh, it's just simply trying to get our lives and our thinking and our behavior in, in stride with what God is doing. That's wisdom. And in general, because we're going with the grain of how God has designed creation and ourselves, life tends to go better when it's lived under the fear of the Lord. That's not to say that Christians should never suffer. That's not to say that Christians don't ever endure persecution from those who oppose God's ways and oppose his kingdom. That's not, you know, we're we're acknowledging that. But, But in general, when we do life the way God intends for it, life goes good for the most part. We flourish. We're blessed. And that's what you see described in Proverbs 31, this woman who fears the Lord, and, and she's going with you know, the grain of the kingdom. She's living consistently with that, and things are good. Like This is a remarkable story about how she and her family are they're, they're, they're eating well, they're, they're dressed in purple and scarlet, and they're not fearing the cold weather. They've, they've got plenty uh, to wear. Um, she's, she's killing it, you know, in the real estate market, <laughs> flipping fields and planting vineyards, you know, in her spare time when she's not rising, you know, before it is uh, dawn and leaving, you know, her, her lamp does not go out at night. She's, you know, just seems to never wear out. Um, she's like this incredible woman who does everything well and, and for whom everything is going well. And she would make an excellent candidate like for the show Shark Tank. Not to be a contestant, 
one of the sharks, I mean, she has just got it all together. She's incredibly successful. And a lot of that has to do with her, her wisdom. Uh, she is living consistently with the kingdom. Things are going well. Um, this is a remarkable affirmation. You know, this is an incredibly affirming picture of womanhood, especially given the, the time period. So the Bible is, is very, very countercultural. Um, and, and in ancient times, like it just, women, women were not affirmed at all, disparaged. Uh, they, they, they were just property. Um, so some of the wisest thinkers uh, of the ancient world, people whose names we recognize, you know, Plato and, and Socrates and Aristotle. Listen to what Aristotle said about women. Females are imperfect males, a kind of mutilated male, accidentally produced by the father's inadequacy or by the malign influence of a moist south wind. That's, that's just cringy. Um, so the ancient wisdom had very, very unflattering things to say about women compared with God's esteem of his image bearers, his female image bearers. And, uh, and that's what we see in this woman who uh, is, is considered excellent, right? She's this excellent wife, this noble woman. She's a wonder woman. <laughs> um, the, when Wonder Woman came out, uh, the second one was not great, <laughs> but the first movie was really, really remarkable. Um, it was a great story that it told, but sort of what was remarkable about it as well is it came out of Hollywood, and Hollywood had a choice to make because, you know, it's, it's very in vogue um, in our culture to, to blur the gender distinctions, to basically challenge any gender distinctions. And so when they're making and producing Wonder Woman, you kind of got to wonder, what are they going to do with um, this female hero? Are they going to change and morph Wonder Woman into Macho Woman, you know, uh, make her butch or kind of androgynous? But they didn't. They, they, they stuck with Wonder Woman, who is observedly feminine, right? Diana makes no qualms about her being a woman, but she's incredibly strong and powerful. Uh, scholars, when they look at Proverbs 31, and when they do just uh, from the perspective of, a, of, of literature, acknowledge that this is a, it's not only an acrostic poem, as we observe, but it's a particular kind of poetry. It falls into a genre that uh, is described as a heroic hymn. It's a poem that typically celebrates the victory of soldiers, but is here used to praise a noble woman. So this is unique. This is a genre of poetry that's typically reserved for warriors and soldiers and victorious kings, not for women. And the Bible is doing something special with this poem. Uh, even the word excellent that is in verse 10 has a range of meaning, and it can easily be translated noble. Some of your translations do say she's the noble uh, wife, a noble woman. 
And the basic meaning of that term is, is, is strength and power. This is a heroic hymn. And you see this theme continue through all these verses. So look at verse 11, where it says that the heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. And that word gain seems kind of innocuous. You know, okay, great. She's industrious and she's helping out the household. She's got a little hustle on the side with the vineyard or with some property or whatever. It's not what that word is reserved for. It also means plunder. It refers to the spoils of war, the gains that the, that the victorious army brings back with it, the, the, the plunder. Um, and those are the kinds of gains that this wise woman is, is providing uh, for her family. She's a warrior. Verse 15, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. Again, that seems, you know, okay, great. She's making, making dinner or, I mean, making breakfast. You know, everybody's hungry. It's an agrarian culture and everybody's going to go spend lots of calories out in the fields. So she's got to get this big hearty breakfast going. So better get up at 5 a.m. Well, it's a little more than that. The word food there is the same word translated elsewhere as prey. P-R-E-Y, like a huntress going out to bring in the prey. And so there's some strength that's implied there, right? Verse 17, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Now, everybody look at verse 17 because I think almost every single one of your Bibles has an asterisk right after where it says she dresses herself, right? And if you look at the italics, the tiny, tiny italics at the bottom of the page, it says she girds her loins. Like that's an expression we only hear used about men, about soldiers, about people preparing for battle, for action, because, you know, if you're wearing a typical garment of that day would have been a tunic or a robe or something kind of flowing. And if you're a guy and you're about to get into the heat of battle, you're going to hike up the, the hem, and you're going to tie it around your waist, and you're going to put a belt on it, and that's what girding the loins means. And she is preparing for battle every single day, putting on strength and making her arms strong. She's got arms that are the envy of Michelle Obama, right? I mean, she's a powerful woman. Uh, verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. Um, you know, when most of us are wrestling with feeling weak and small and powerless, you know, the future makes us anxious. She's wearing strength and dignity as, as her clothing, and, and, and there's constant reference to her strength. Just she's able to look at the future. She's not anxious. She's just, bring it on. I got this. With the Lord's help, of course. And verse 29, just to kind of wrap up this whole heroic hymn theme, um, many women have done excellently, right? So this is her husband praising her. Many women have done excellently, or that's the same word in verse 10 for noble, excellent slash noble. Many women have done excellently or strongly or nobly, but you surpass them all. Like he's comparing his wife to these other women, and it's not a beauty pageant. You know, it's nothing superficial like that. He's looking at her character. He's looking at her inward strength. He's looking at her wisdom and going, you know, you're amazing. You're a wonderful woman, right? So, so this is the, what's being depicted, this very affirming picture of biblical femininity. Now, 
That said, uh, I want to I be aware, I want to I be a sensitive male. <laughs> I want to be aware that some women, I would, I would imagine, would, would hear these 22 verses of this Wonder Woman and go, well, I give up. Who in the world can, can do that? Who, who is that wonderful, right? Like, I, I just feel like such a failure compared to, to Wonder Woman. And can I just validate that? Like, there are actually scholars that think this, this woman doesn't exist. <laughs> she, she's so far off the chart. She's sort of this idealized you know, image. Regardless, look, a wise woman, even this woman, if we, we know from elsewhere in Proverbs, we got to remember the macro. Anybody who's wise is going to know their limitations. Anybody who's wise is going to know their weaknesses. Anybody who's wise is going to know their sins and their failures. In fact, um, back in, verse, uh, in, in chapter 12, Verse 4, we're introduced to the excellent wife for the first time in Proverbs, where it says, An excellent wife or a noble wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. And a wise woman is going to acknowledge, you know what, I don't always win. And there's times when I blow it, there's times when I fumble. There's times when I do what's shameful and what's sinful. Because we all do. And wisdom leads us to be honest and to confess that. Wisdom tells us, don't, don't pretend, right? What do we do with our failures? What do we do, whether we're women or men, what do we do with our shortcomings, with our shame, with our guilt? What do we do with the rottenness in our own soul? I had a friend in college, um, and I, I remember this because of, of how he said what he said, but let me set it up. He, um, he thought it was helpful for him, and I get it. I, 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 I admire this. It's not been my practice, but, but in his devotional life, he would sometimes take walks through cemeteries, he just thought, you know, this helps me remember this world is not my home. You know, uh, we're, we're mortal and we need to seize every day and take it captive for the Lord. And I, that makes sense. But in his, you know, uh, wanderings through certain graveyards in Harrisonburg, we were at JMU, uh, he would read the epitaphs, right? And, you know, this gravestone and tells you the, when they were born, when they died. And a lot of times there's a little some, something pithy, some kind of message and one tombstone uh, in this cemetery uh, was for a woman, and on the tombstone was this epitaph. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. And he came back from his walk through the cemetery, and, and he, was, he didn't like that. He was upset by that, that epitaph. He thought, you know, wait a minute. In his, in his misplaced zeal for the purity of the gospel, he's thinking, our works don't praise us at the pearly gates. We don't, we're not saved by our works. We're saved by Jesus. We're saved by his works. And what's, what's going on here? And, and I, just, I remember this very brief discussion so vividly because what he said really shocked me. He said, her works are going to praise her straight to hell. And I went, oh, gosh. Like, 
There's a lot of passion here. I'm not sure it's placed properly, but what I don't think he realized was that that epitaph was a direct quote from Proverbs 31, right? These are the very last words of the entire book of Proverbs. Look, look at verse 31. It's, the, it's a quote, direct quote from Proverbs 31. That's not wrong. <laughs> That's biblical. That's a biblical epitaph. Yes, yeah, certainly you can apply it wrongly. And if she thought she was going to go to heaven based on her good works, she was wrong. But it's not wrong to want to aspire to be an excellent woman in the life that God gives us. Now, in the pearly gates of heaven, it is only Christ's works that matter. But those aren't the gates that Proverbs 31.31 is talking about. Proverbs 31.31 is talking about the city gates. Her works will praise her at the city gates. You know, this is a life well lived. Today, our own city is praising the works of a wise woman named Ann Seton. In the News Virginian this morning, there, this is the title of the article, Community Mourns Loss of Waynesboro's Ann Seton. Ann was a, if you knew her, she was a vivacious person, joyful, you know, you, you wouldn't miss her. You always knew when she was in the room. Uh, because of her laugh and stuff. But she was just a great wife. I mean, Scott just, I mean, what he said yesterday, you can't say it better. I just miss being married to her. And the boys uh, love their mom. Jocelyn loved her mom. And she was a great friend. And she was a great supporter of the arts, you know, visual arts and musical arts. She's, she's got this huge circle, of this whole huge sphere of influence in the arts community locally. And she was politically involved, you know, big part of the Republican Party locally. Um, she was a businesswoman and just had tons and tons of contacts. Like her memorial service, we're trying to figure out where to host it because it's going to be a big deal. Waynesboro. Our city is praising her for all of her blessings that she provided to people. That's not wrong. We should all want to live a life that blesses our city. We should all want to live a life for the glory of God and for the good of the people around us. Maybe your influence is small. That's okay. Maybe your influence is broader. You know, that's good. But that is excellent. That's a good thing. It doesn't get us into the pearly gates, but it certainly gives glory to God when his servants are praised at the, at the city gates. None of us can hope to enter heaven because we're a good man or we're a good woman. You know, all of us are, are infected by shame and guilt and sin. The irony is that there's only been one human being who was also fully God, whoever did live perfectly, whoever did deserve praise at the pearly gates, and that was Jesus. So he does get that praise at the pearly gates, but he didn't get it at the city gates. At the city gates, instead, what he got was cursing. 
What he got was rejection. What he got was malice. What he got was crucifixion. He was thrown out of the city like a piece of garbage because the city didn't want him. And there he died on behalf of our sins to take away our guilt, to take away our shame, our rottenness, the places where we fail and we know ourselves to be men and women who fall short. And Jesus blesses us and saves us. And, you know, the gospel is not, you know, hey, work hard to be the best man, the best woman you can be. Like, it's just some kind of competition. Like, I got to be better than so-and-so or better than, than her or better than him. That's how the world works. That's not how heaven works. C.S. Lewis nailed it when he said that God became man to turn creatures into sons or into daughters. Not simply to produce better men or better women of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man, a new kind of woman. It's, like, it's, not, it's not like teaching a horse to jump better and better or higher and higher, but turning a horse into a winged creature, into Pegasus. That's what the gospel does. It changes us, makes us new, not just better, but new. Who are living for something different, living because we're, we, we're loving because we've been loved, and we're, we're trying to, to bless people because we've been blessed. And that changes the entire motivation. And that's what ends up making us into excellent image bearers. So we talked last week about how God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it, right? Genesis 2.15 talked about how men are, are, are uh, distinct in our reflections of who God is because we are keepers. We're called to lead, protect, to, to initiate, and to build, and all those fun things. In that sense, men are embodying God's dominion, his transcendence, authority, those kinds of things. Men are, are distinctly, but not uniquely, there's, there's, there's fuzzy edges, but we're distinctly to reflect God's image as a keeper, right? Somebody who's providing, protecting, leading, all those things, a keeper. Turn to Psalm 121, and you read that the Lord is your keeper. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Back in Genesis 2, after creating the man, uh, the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone, and I will make him a helper uh, fit for him. And God makes Eve. And she is this complementary embodiment of God's eminence, um, his closeness, his nurture, his blessing, and his, his help. Women distinctly, not uniquely, you know, there's fuzzy edges, but they distinctly are reflecting God's image of a helper because God is our helper. Same psalm, Psalm 121, where we, we learn that God is our keeper. It says that I lift my, hills, my eyes to the hills where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. God is our helper. God is simultaneously transcendent and imminent. You know, he's high and lifted up. He leads, he provides, he protects. He's also near and he nurtures and he counsels and he comforts. 
And men and women are called to reflect both qualities of who God is. God designed women to be strong helpers so that together men and women may complete the work that God gave them to do. You know, fill the earth, subdue it, exercise dominion, all that good stuff. Adam is the project leader. Eve is the project advisor, you know, his strong help. She's not help in the sense that, oh, you, well, okay, you can come and here, lift that, you know, or do that. Like some slave to be ordered around. She is respected, honored, revered. Um, Nancy Guthrie puts it this way. She says, it's important to note that God himself is described as a helper throughout the Bible, especially in terms of doing battle against Israel's enemies. So to help with the task of filling, subduing, and ruling over the earth, that's a very godlike, noble thing. We have to listen to God's voice and, and not the static of our culture around us because God is our help. Where would we be without him? Like last week we were talking about, okay, biblical masculinity, what's a good role model? How, how should men understand biblical manhood? What, what, what do we imitate? What do we copy? And well, we're in church, right? The answer is Jesus. So that's the standard for masculinity is Jesus, not, you know, marble man or whatever kind of ridiculousness is in our culture, but Jesus. Men become more manly by becoming more like Jesus. Who should women become like? What's, what's the good role model for biblical womanhood? I, I know we're in church and I think it's just supposed to be Jesus, but that's not going to work this time. It might surprise you. What if we looked to the Holy Spirit as the example of biblical femininity. I want you to listen very carefully. Very carefully. This is going to raise eyebrows. This is going to get antenna up, okay? So just track with me. One of the enormous mistakes that the church has made all throughout its history, especially with this discussion, is to insist on the maleness of God in such a way that we've forgotten that women are also made in the image of God? Can I just say that again? Women are made in the image of God. Their femininity comes from God. Jesus, you know, had a, has a male body, still has the male body, right? But, but God and the Spirit, the God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, they have no body. Like we don't assign maleness to them. It's actually, you know, maleness is this reflection of God's image, but so is femaleness. And it takes both to adequately show the world what God is like. So we're not ascribing femininity to God any more than we're ascribing masculinity to God. God isn't like us. We're like him. And so he's not made in our image. We're made in his image as a man, and as a woman, because it takes both genders to adequately reflect uh, God's character. He's simultaneously transcendent and eminent. You know, that's why we're male and female. He's a triune God. He's three in one, this complementary community. And, 
And then Jesus comes along and he says, Kevin, haven't you heard that in the beginning you made them male and female? And what God has joined together, let no one separate. You know, when they become married, the two become one flesh. And they become this two in one, like a mirror, a, a, an imperfect but a, a helpful reflection of the Trinity. It's, it's, you know, there's some mystery here. And in the wisdom of God, God has designed these two complementary genders to demonstrate the complementariness of of who God is. So as we think about the Holy Spirit, think about what's distinct about the Holy Spirit. Uh, J.I. Packer, you know, theologian I think most of us are familiar with, he says that the counselor or the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, comes from the Greek word parakletos, which means the one who gives support. He's the helper. He's the advisor. He's the strengthener. He's the encourager. He's the ally. He's the advocate. And the Holy Spirit, God sends the Holy Spirit to come alongside us to help us. It's no accident. Eve was formed from Adam's side to help him. Um, Famous quote from Matthew Henry You've probably heard this. Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, neither out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, to be under his arm, to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. It's a great picture. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit helper again and again and again. John 14, 16, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper. John 15, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So uh, today, last Sunday, there's been a lot in these two sermons about gender and the, the wisdom of embracing you know, God's design and making us male and female. It makes our progressive friends nervous. They, they kind of get upset when we start saying this is God's design. But this wisdom doesn't just upset the liberal apple cart. Um, It also disrupts our traditional notions that we assume are biblical but aren't. These caricatures we have in our minds of what masculinity and femininity should be. So if we refuse to acknowledge that, that femininity comes from God, this feminine dimension in God, then how can we say that women are also made in God's image. How can you have integrity when you say that? Those who say that women bear God's image as humans, but not specifically as females, are implying, maybe they're just saying outright, but they're at least implying that, that men are better reflections of God's image than women. It implies that women are inferior reflections, and that's starting to sound a little bit like Aristotle. So, listen, we're not saying the Holy Spirit is a she. We're not saying we pray to Sophia. Like, that's where people have just gone into the weeds, but we've got to embrace some mystery here. We're not making God in our image. We're, in his, we're made in his image. So let's, let's embrace how he's described that. Because male and female make an excellent pair. Um, God created them in his own image, male and female. He created them, and then he blesses them. 
And he tells them to go be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. And, and it takes both to do that well. She's not taking orders from her husband like some domestic servant being bossed around. And she's not indifferent to her husband, just simply doing her own thing and not you know, acknowledging you know, his leadership and so on. The woman in Proverbs 31 blesses her husband. She blesses her family, but she is no mouse. She is a powerhouse. Both are praising one another. The husband's praising her, and she's honoring him. He's not a sexist, a misogynistic bully. He, she is not some you know, radical feminist. They're just trying to do life together the way God designed. So the right hands and the left hands are a good analogy here. We need both. I need my right hand, I need my left hand. There was a book that came out a while ago called How to Train a Wild Elephant, and I just appreciated this observation. The right and left hands work together, each one doing its half of a task. So drying dishes, one hand holds the dish and the other the towel, and cutting with a knife, one holds the vegetables while the other chops. I needed to remember that last week. And they cooperate to wash each other, right? You can't... Try to wash just one hand. You know, it just doesn't work. You need both. And while my, hand, while my finger was all bound up with stitches and band-aids, like I just couldn't use my left hand really well. And just all of this past week and a half, I'm fumbling around trying to do life with basically the one-hand man. It's not the way God designed it. We need both. That's why they're a good pair. And, and that's why this ultimately, you know, God didn't just make women to be a help. To, to men, but to help the world. Because our world needs help. The world desperately needs help. The world wants to obscure the differences between men and women and dilute them in this sort of ever-increasing slurry of you know, new genders or non-genders. And what if the best way that women can help our world is to just embrace the way God has made you, to celebrate to embody that. Male and female is not just a social or, or a personal construct. It's, it's a heavenly one. And Andre Sue Peterson uh, wrote an article recently in World that God's way is not to insist on being what one is not, but to be the best version of what one is, right? And we were talking about Fred Rogers last week, and you know he was, he was re remembering that when he was a boy, his, his mom would say, look, when, when there's trouble, when, when there's something bad that's happening, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. The world needs help. The world needs helpers. The world needs women. It needs to see the beauty and wisdom of God's design. It needs to see men and women living together, not trying to prop up these traditional constraints and not just, you know, embracing all the new progressive complaints, but just living biblically. Men who are in pursuit of being conformed to the masculine qualities of Jesus are keeper, and women who are always being conformed to the feminine qualities of the Holy Spirit are helper, and men and women together, the church being transformed by the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, there's a lot here. We, we acknowledge that. And there's things that challenge all of us, men and women. 
Uh, we're all still trying to grow up. We're all still trying to figure out what it means to be men and women. And so we pray that you'd help us and that you would forgive us for where we fail. And that you would help us celebrate success and that you would help us to rejoice in who you've made us to be, whether men or women. Um, and help us as we throw off the, the traditional caricatures and as we resist uh, the direction of uh, a culture that needs a lot of help. Lord, help us to be accurate and, and beautiful reflections of your wisdom to this world. Help us to embrace the gospel and be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen.